Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify black letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. What are the three big learning points you've had throughout your career that you'd like to share with budding entrepreneurs, budding lawyers, non-budding lawyers, people who are retired, whatever it is, you know, share away. You have to have a plan, right? Know where you want to be and, and how you get there might be completely different from the plan, but you got to have a plan. Um, you got to be persistent. And then probably the biggest thing is you got to be patient. You know, so many young professionals and lo- young lawyers come to me and, you know, they want right now to be the VP or the boss. Uh, same thing at a law firm, you know, uh, b- building a book of business and aviation law took me three to five years. The purposeful part of it was I would go to conferences and figure out who I was going to meet there. And then I would go again the next year and go again the following year and build those relationships. Right. Yep. Um, Long tail. So, so yeah, I don't know. Is that three pieces or one? So you've got to have a plan. You've got to be persistent and you've got to be patient. So would you say it's the three P's plan, persistence, patience or P P cubes? Yeah, you can add a footnote and say purposeful, but no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, here's, here's the great one on the persistence, right? Yeah. I remember when I was practicing in Charleston, I was trying to get some business from American airlines. My real good friend was there. He was a Navy, uh, Navy Jag, former Navy Jag guy. He came back to me and said, Mark, you know, you're not admitted in DC and the general counsel wants somebody admitted in DC. I said, you gotta be kidding me. You know? Cause I, I, I said, okay, I got it. But you know what I did? I got admitted in D.C. I put it on the website. I traveled back and forth to D.C. And two years later, he called me up and said, hey, I think we've got some work for you. So, you know, that's the persistence and patience. Um, yeah. Don't let, don't let the door shut on you. Figure out how to open them. That's fantastic. Great. Well, I guess I got, gosh, Mark, if, if, I, if I don't know if you have anything else, but that's what I was looking for. Your three, you know, pieces of advice. So plan, uh, persistence and patience. And would you, I guess you'd say purposeful planning, purposeful persistence, and purposeful patience. If you just want to make it fully alliterative, you can have that. Maybe you could put that on your blog and say everything's purposeful, and it's the three Ps. Advice that I normally give to, particularly the young people who ask me for, you know, for career advice. One is, I'm with a plan. <laughs> um, you would think that that would just be an obvious thing, but for a lot of us. Um, it isn't because you feel like you are in a lot of control over your career because, you know, it depends on what your boss wants you to do. It depends on, you know, the, you know, where you're located. It, you know, there are a lot of factors, but there are some things you do control, you know, having your mind's eye where you want to be 20 to 25 years from now, if it's general counsel, CEO, chief marketing officer, chief librarian, whatever it is. And then from there, what are the component pieces that you need in order to be competitive in your career 20 to 25 years from now when you're eligible to be considered for that role? Because you will have been in this industry or in this, this practice for, for, for a long time. You know, people are going to be looking to you for sage wisdom. Um, uh, maybe, you know, some of us are already at that stage. 
So you have all, all, all of these different component pieces. Okay, now I need to build steps to get to where I want to be 20 to 25 years from now, just to be competitive. So I tell them, think about your career in five-year increments and then figure out whether you need all five years to, to do something. Maybe you need five years of labor and employment experience one way or the other. You have to figure out whether you're ready for the next um, part of or whatever that next step is. And then don't be afraid to take it. Don't be afraid to pursue it. And don't be afraid to leave your current employer if that's what it takes in order for you to get it. The second piece of advice I got, um, I was reading Ken Chanel, who is the former uh, CEO of American Express, uh, gave an interview that I read early on in my career um, that, that still resonates with me today. It, you know, He was asked how he got to be CEO, the first African-American CEO of, of American Express. And you know, one of the responses he gave, the one at least the one that sort of registered with me the most, was he said, "I took the jobs that nobody else wanted, right, and I made them successful." And so, of course, somebody said, "Well, why would you do the jobs that nobody wanted?" And he said, "Well, if I totally screwed up, nobody was expecting anything from me anyway because it was going nowhere and everybody knew it." If I changed it, which more often than not, I was able to do and make it really successful that I was going to get on everybody's radar, right? And so that was part of, you know, the way I sort of approach my career is I'm going to do the jobs that maybe not a lot of people would want to do, um, or that would be more challenging because of the environment or what have you. Uh, and hopefully, um, you know, as, as I think my career has, has borne out, I was fortunate enough to be relatively successful in, in each of those endeavors. And the more I became more successful in those endeavors, the more it started to weave a strand uh, and a narrative of who I was and how successful I was at doing uh, the practice of law and got other people's attention or it was easier to get other people's attention. Uh, including the, uh, you know, all the way to the White House. So, uh, third piece of advice is have fun. Um, you know, we do, we spend a lot of time doing what we do in order to become the experts that we hope that people will see us as. Uh, and and there's a level of uh, seriousness that comes, seriousness of purpose that comes with with doing that and creating that legacy. But if you're not having fun doing it, you're dreading getting up every morning to have to go into a job that you know you absolutely hate, well, then that's also a part of your legacy. <laughs> you have a lot more control over that um, than, than I think sometimes people realize. And so, you know, it, it, it may be simple, um, but sometimes we, some, we sometimes overlook the simple have fun at what you do. And if you're not having fun, it's time to change. Great. So if I could summarize the Mark Nichols key to, to life success, have a plan and faith in yourself to do it. Take the jobs that nobody wants and make sure that you have fun when you do your job. What I've pulled away is that, and I think it's important that most of us, when we bid on government contracts, think about, you know, who am I teaming with? How much money can I make? What's my work share? What's my return going to be? And how are we pricing? Because they think about pricing and they think about how best to put themselves and win the RFP. But honestly, I think the compliance aspect of this, like 
am I ready if I win this contract? Am I immediately subject to losing the contract? So am I compliant? Have I read all the check boxes? Is my book boss a compliance person? Um, all of those things are things that people don't think about. And I, I, I appreciate that. And I've taken that away from this conversation. Is there anything else you want to add that we've missed or forgotten? I think that companies are often afraid to reach out for help. And there's a lot of help available out there. The Small Business Administration can help small businesses. They have counselors and many organizations set aside to help with that. There's lots of consultants or accountants that can help with your cost accounting if that's the if that's the issue. And there's also firms like ours, Tom, who work a lot with small businesses and have affordable rates for small businesses that can come in, do a review, and help plan a project plan for clients so that they don't have to think about it. They don't have to figure it out. They can simply outsource it. Compliance as a service is huge. What advice do you have for people out there that you think are kind of like, these are the things that, you know, I would, and I don't know if the MBA helped you massively or if, you know, if my, your advice is go back to school and get an MBA or whatever it is. Do you have any thoughts for the listening audience? Yes. Words of wisdom. Good. She said yes with um, like a deep, yes. like <laughs> OMG, yes. I think there's two things. One thing we've done that I think has served us well mm -hmm. and was not on purpose, but was we've built the business to be as flexible as possible. So our fixed costs have always stayed low and we tend to, to only put in as much process as we absolutely have to to keep going. Now, that's been a challenge post-acquisition because we put we didn't onesie-twosie add people. We added a lot of things all at once. Right. So that's been right. a little bit tricky. But generally speaking, being able to stay flexible lets us meet customers where they are because sometimes things come in the door and people say, can you do this? And we weren't thinking we'd ever do that. Right. But it sounded like a great idea so we can respond and keeping the projects stable in and of themselves, like keeping the projects organized and then using resources that come out of those, like the profits that come out of the contract to do stuff that will further the company longer term. So keeping gotcha. that flexibility has been really important. I so think. flexibility and in the business structure. And then you're also saying, so in the structure, mm -hmm. and then you're also saying you're reinvesting earnings as opposed yeah. to pulling earnings out all the time. Your, your plan is to grow this. Oh yes. We've done that the whole time. We've been okay. bootstrapped since the beginning. Um, so we don't, we don't have any outside investors. No debt, no, no outside debt. investors. Mm -hmm. No. So that's first piece of advice. Anything else that you think you would share? I Flexibility being number one. I think being cognizant of your risk tolerance level okay. and planning accordingly. So I am not a risk. I am a risk averse person. Dan is much more risk tolerant than I am. The balance there has been good, I think, because it has kept us from going too far in either direction. But We've had backup plans upon backup plans. We have money in the bank. We've always saved that in the beginning. We used to keep six months' salary for everybody in the bank in case wow. the customers went away. Do you still do that? No, we don't do that. Okay. Great. Now what we do is we, do, you know, we're diversified across contracts. And I guess when it was the two of you, mitigation. that was a little easier. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, for a while we kept doing that. So when we hired somebody, it was like, okay, I guess we just, we just got to wait till the savings account floats back up. Whoa. Um, but that was what let if you that's what let me sleep at night. And if you yeah. have if you have in the back of your mind, if you're really, really worried about something, you can't look forward and do what's best for the business. So I think being honest with yourself about where your risks are and how you feel comfortable about them uh, is really important because there's a lot of things that people like, I don't know, this is a silly example, but when we went into our office, we had to buy a bunch of furniture. Furniture's really expensive. The advice was to lease the furniture. And then you get to write off the interest and you don't pay for all the cap. But then I have a debt and we didn't want debt. So we just bought it. 
And at the time, everybody's the furniture dealer was like, what are you doing? And I was like, making it so I can sleep at night. But now I don't have to worry about paying that down. So right. it's a different it's a different mindset, but sort of respecting that in yourself, I think, is really important because otherwise you're going to make yourself crazy. Okay. So flexibility, risk understanding your own risk tolerance, and how to manage your own risk tolerance. Yeah. I guess. Sure. Is that part of it? And do you have a, a third overarching point? <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but people always quit on Fridays. Okay. Um they do. Makes sense. It, it's I mean, not it a thing sense. you think about. I have a whole thing about we don't do bad news at the end of the week because I don't want to send people bad news and then they yeah. sit at the weekend and they feel miserable. Bad news always comes out early in the Fair. week. Fair. Okay. But the opposite of that happens to you as a leader because people hit you with bad news at the end of the week frequently. That has been my experience. So I think the bigger like takeaway is understand that you can control things coming out of you as much as possible to help manage your team. But you end up not being on the receiving you end have of to that absorb situation. the bad yes yes is that the, is that the third point you have yeah. to, as a leader you have to absorb the bad and and, and try and buffer your team from and it. buffer your team yeah okay i love that tough i mean so so if i were to summarize the three things that have made you successful or do you have a fourth or is no, those i think i'm good now the three okay you think That's you're good. good let's stick with three i think so flexible business structure yep. um understanding your own risk tolerance and how to manage that risk tolerance mm -hmm. in a sensible way which can mean a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is people quit on Fridays. I think that's the easiest way to remember it. Yep. <laughs> is, but the people quit on Fridays saying, I guess, is that you have to, as a leader, absorb bad news on a bad day to absorb bad news and buffer your team from it. Yep. So I like that though. People quit on Fridays. Yep. And it's true because <laughs> it's if, true. if you were quitting, wouldn't you quit on, on a Friday? Friday? <laughs> I would because like that's, you know, I'm going to go out and have a drink. Yep. I'm like, I just quit today. Yep. I told my, Boss Tracy to shove it, take her satellite data, and send it to NASA. And, and I'm going to another company and going to look at the same data, yeah. but for somebody else. Whenever you've got your team together, always ask for their input. You'd be surprised how, how some of these folks have some really, really good ideas. Or they may see something based on their experience or what they're experiencing, even with the corporation at the time, or me and this nonprofit with Veterans Moving Forward that I either didn't think about or I, don't, I didn't see it in that particular light, especially when you're working with volunteers. So getting their input is very critical to the success of the organization. However, once everything is done, there's still only one commander. There's still only one president. And so whenever you make the decision, do so, believe in what you're, what you're doing. But as we also learned in the military, we had operations orders. And it started out looking good on paper until we actually started to execute. And then we started doing the alternate orders or what we used to call the frag orders. Because things change. Frag Everything changes. Well, as soon as you do that, so you've got this beautifully printed strategic plan. You've got the direction. You figure out how much budget you're going to need. Two months into that strategic plan, yeah, Murphy comes to town. So what you do is you have to be able to adjust. You can't just keep going at it and saying, well, this is, what it, this is what the plan says, so this is how we're going to have to do that. Well, nope, it's a living document, and it needs to be revised and updated as you move along, as you also get your team members to, to come along with you. I like to think of it as the Pied Piper, where I get all the team together. And then this was really important, not only for the current job, but especially in my prior opportunity with uh, employers for the Garden Reserve, 
with the 5,000 volunteers that I had across the country to make sure they understand the direction, how important it was that they were part of that solution, that they were integral to how we organized, and that each one of them played a critical part in the overall success of it. One of my favorite things that I did, and uh, I've done it here with ESGR, I mean with uh, Veterans Moving Forward, is I had a slide that had just Lego pieces. And I told everybody that you are, in essence, like a Lego piece. Everybody's a different shape, size, functionality, experience. Where do I go? Where do I fit? What? How does this do? I said, but at the end of the day, these Lego pieces are going to form the letters of, back then, ESGR, and today, Veterans Moving Forward, VMF. And it was, and so I had an artist guy the, to draw these letters with all these different Lego pieces and colors, but kind of looked like the letters. And mm -hmm. I said, if you notice, they all fit. And if you notice, they all work together. And if you notice, they all accomplish the mission of a successful organization. And that's because each one of you are, are part of that critical asset uh, that we need to make sure that we can accomplish our mission. And for us, that's training and placing these service dogs with these deserving veterans who are dealing with mental or physical challenges. So if I could summarize then what I've got, Gordon, is uh, first thing is get buy-in and input from everybody, then make the plan, and then no plan survives contact with the enemy, be ready to adjust, but you've got to execute the plan once you have the plan. Those are kind of the, the pieces of wisdom uh, that you, you've, you've shared. Did I summarize that pretty fairly? Yep, and I would I would just add one other piece because every plan has a resource requirement. And one of the things that I learned when I was uh, in the Pentagon doing, uh, when I was responsible for Army training, is that there was a tendency for the government to say, well, we only have so much money in the budget, so therefore we can only train X amount, which is a true statement. But what the, what the, ten, the tenor of the conversation took on was, well, whatever amount of money we could train, that was the requirements that we need to function for the Army, which is absolutely incorrect in my view. So, for example, I need to train 100 Apache pilots in a year. Well, I've only got funding for 50 Apache pilots. So instead of saying, well, I'm fully funded because I can fund 50 Apache pilots, I would say, no, we're 50% we're we're funded because I still need 50 more pilots to meet the requirements right. that we have worldwide. So that's why I tell people, don't let resources drive the operations train. Make sure the operators drive the resource train. Don't change the requirements based on how many dollars that you may or may not have. Identify it. If you're short, then you've got, a, then you've got an unfunded requirement that you've got to make up for it. That's where we are with Veteran Movie Forward. Again, you mentioned earlier, $30,000 a month operation. So if I don't get $30,000 this month, that doesn't mean that we're that we're only training half a dog. Right. What it means is next month, whatever that delta is, I've got to raise the thirty thousand plus that plus month the delta. Just to stay on track and 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 still be able to yeah. accomplish our mission. Tell us your lessons learned, because that's what I'm most excited about okay. and most interested in through all of these these trials and travails you've had, and they're okay. hard lessons. So hard lessons. One just. Get it out there. Mm -hmm. You've got a product and you've got an idea. Don't talk about it. Do it. Okay. Just don't talk about it. Just get it done. So execution, execution. And you know what? Pull the trigger, as we used to say. 
that tech company with which I was involved, mm-hmm. a, a dear friend of mine, he wanted things to be perfect. Right. You know what? We don't have time to be perfect. Get it out there and you improve it. Yep. Get it out there and you improve it. So that's lesson number one. Okay. I think lesson number two that I've really seen recently, and that is goodwill. Okay. Versus merit. Okay. If you'd asked me 10 years ago mm-hmm. or 20 years ago, I would have said, you know what? Hard work, a great product, that's going to prevail. No, that's not true. You need people around you who want to see you win, who want to see you succeed. That's so you're talking about inside out. of your company, your and partners, outside, your and business outside. and outside your companies. So promoters and partners. Nothing happens on its own. Okay. And again, hard work and merit, you just disappear into your little office and that's every, that's, that's it. Take example, being on the show today, right? You and I have goodwill with each other. Okay. If I was in my office all the time, just working really hard, developing a great product, I wouldn't be on the show. You and I met each other. We like each other. Uh, now the Ukrainian special forces as of this week have soldier fuel arriving there. Getting ready to beat those Russians back? Yeah, it's a 500 special operators. We were on the phone with them with a translator last Fantastic. week. Fantastic. And the reason that happened is because I met two guys who had, were political refugees from the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. We liked each other. We got along really well. So they made a couple of phone calls, and now the Ukraine special forces have soldier fuel. So this advice is you've got to get out there to make things happen. You've got to get out there to make things happen. Okay. And, you know, if there's something that maybe you're tired and you don't really feel like going to a special event, Mm-hmm. So what? Go anyway. Have a have a have a soldier fuel, and uh, you'll feel like going. But definitely, you, you know, you, you have to have people who want to see you win. Okay. And I think that goes back to you know, just be nice to people. Okay. Just be nice to people. Um, don't grow too quickly. Okay. Uh, I know that that's a mistake I made a long time ago. You grow too quickly. No, don't grow too quickly. Manage your resources. Manage your people. So how do you tell if you're growing too quickly? What is that? Um, look like? Because that's a tough one. I mean, I get that you've got to execute, can't have a perfect product. You got to get it out there and repair. Got a goodwill. I get that. But not growing too quickly, I understand what that means. But how do, what, is that, what does that really mean anecdotally? How do you explain don't okay, grow too quickly? I'll give you a variant of that. Perfect. So for instance, we've had the opportunity before of going into maybe over a thousand stores okay. right away. Right. Versus Focusing on, for instance, you love Green Top. Mm-hmm. I love Green Top outside of Richmond. Mm-hmm. We go there to a focus group that loves our product right away. All of a sudden, in two days, we can sell $3,000 worth of soldier fuel at a special event. Right. Now, imagine a handful of locations like that who are ravenous for our product, for soldier fuel and go pills. Let's develop that incredible. So you want to develop a grassroots fan base before you go national so you don't have negative feedback in advance. You would basically want to develop. So that it's something that you can show tremendous success. Gotcha. In a focused effort, as opposed to rolling out to a thousand or 2000 stores that you're not ready to support yet. Okay. And that might not be your exact user base. So focus on success. Go ahead into those, those places, a small number of them and kill it. And then you can grow from there. So if we were to summarize your four points. My first point was 
get it out there. Get it out there. Execution. Don't wait. Put it out there. And if you have to fix it after it's out there, that's, out that's there. fine. You can have version 2.0, gotcha. version 3.0. And second point. So get it out there. So no perfectionism. No perfectionism. Second point is what I say, goodwill versus merit. So goodwill versus just the simple hard work. Yeah. You have, right? to, you have to have the merit. You have to have the, the hard work. But you have to have people who want to see you succeed. And that's kind of, you know, getting yourself out there. It's another, yeah. it sounds like it's another piece of get it out there. So uh, get it out there. Goodwill, point three. Don't grow too quickly. And for me, focus on a smaller area and okay. succeed wildly at that smaller area. So proof of concept, really. Yeah, you could say, you could say that. I mean, we, we do that in the biotech industry or we did that in the biotech when I was doing biotech. But proof of concept, you've got to prove and prove that you've got the legs, that you've got the, your product is good mm -hmm. with the, uh, the right group first before you, you, that would be growing too quickly. It's just to say, let's blast it out there because we have an opportunity to do it. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. And for us with Soldier Fuel, we don't want to go up against Coke or Pepsi right now. Right. And that's what would happen yeah, if we they, blasted into two or 3,000 stores. They've got some marketing channels. They do. So yeah. we're focusing on the areas that love us and that we can wildly succeed and we'll grow from there. Fantastic. So the first thing that I like to help people think about is in their own connections, you really have four quadrants. You've got current strong ties, you've got current weak ties. You've got dormant strong ties and dormant weak ties. So, so this four quadrant approach, it's like yep. before you turn on your computer or or any of those kinds of things, begin to think about who are these people within these quadrants? Like, who are the initial people that you want to get back in touch with? So my first piece of advice is define who your ties are, right? And list them out, like build the list, but using that okay. four quadrants, because it's amazing. Build the list. Right, build the list. Build the okay. list. Because it's amazing to me when, it, when I come to attorneys and I work with them and I'm like, all right, who do you know? And they're like, I don't know anybody. <laughs> and I'll, sometimes I'm saying, I'll say to them, you're lying to me. I know you're lying to me, right? Uh, well, I've met some lawyers who might not know anybody. I'm just saying. <laughs> might not know very many people. Anyway, sorry. Right. Go ahead. I digress. So, so, so I think the first thing is building a list. Uh, I think the second thing is, you know, getting your mindset in the right place. Right. Okay. So you're not asking the person to be written into their will. You're not asking right. to move in with them. You're not asking these, you know, enormous types of things. So uh, uh, the second piece is around how you think about your network and this magic word called networking. Right. And, you know, the way I try to help attorneys, you know, think through that is. How do you move from this like transaction, transactional notion of networking where I need to extract some value from you? So gimme, 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 gimme. When in reality, authentic uh, relationship building, authentic, uh, your authentic social network is about how can you on a daily basis think about one who's done some good, good in your world, right? Okay. So, uh, so for me, the mindset reframe is the second piece on how can we think about people that have done good in your world and sharing it with them? All right, so maybe the mindset reframe, maybe we should just call it start your thanking party. Start, start your thanking party. Build your list, start your thanking party. See, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking yeah. for Zoom taglines. 
Yes. Okay. Start. Politician taglines. Okay. Start your thank. So tell me about that. So, uh, so uh, I often talk about appreciation as currency, and often we don't use that currency enough. Uh, gotcha. So when you have a daily intention and you think about all the good things that are in your world, who have helped you get to where you are? You know, who was that first teacher? Who was that first client? Who was that former mentor? And so one of the things that I often think about after I'm able to get my kids to school is who can I thank today, right? And, wow. then, and then you use your Excel file and your CRM and your social tools to look at that and say, who's worthy of thanks? Who Of all the things that I know how to do, I just won this client. Um, I just figured this thing out. Well, who taught you how to do that? So having a daily appreciation intention is really important. We often talk about gratitude practices, but we don't integrate gratitude practices with our network, yeah. right? You know? Wow, and, right. So start your thanking party. <laughs> okay, got it. Build your list, start your thanking party. And do we have a number three on your list of, of pieces of advice? I love those two things. So, I'm internalizing them. Awesome. So I think the, I think the third piece, is, and then, you know, this is a chapter in my book, is really breaking through your own Bermuda Keep in Touch Triangle. So I saw that. Yes. Shannon. So I'm confused though. The Bermuda Triangle, is that a bad thing or a good thing? I'm a little confused about the metaphor, right? Because I know it's a thing. It's not a real thing. Nobody, I, there aren't, I mean, I've read about this. It's not, it's a kind of a myth, but it is a myth. But it is. So exactly. Tell me, so exactly. Oh, tell so me that's the metaphor. It. You have uh, nailed it. The Bermuda gotcha. Triangle is a myth. It does not even exist. So like I, in these okay. legends, you know, that the planes and ships would, you know, yeah, dispel yeah. forever. It doesn't exist. Okay. So I it love that. So tell us about the Bermuda Triangle. So, so, so what is your keep in touch Bermuda Triangle? It's this notion of all these things that are in your head that hold you back from actually getting back in touch with somebody. Okay. So, so you've got your CRM or your Excel file, you've got your list, you've got all these things, but your heart is not in it because of what's going on. So in it's, your head. I know what you're So You're like, I haven't talked to them since college. It would be weird. That's right. probably the number one thing for right. me. I'm like, God, they were great friends and I'll connect with them on social media or like a post. But if I'm like, hey, I'd like to catch up, they'll be like, why the F do you want to catch up with me after 25 years randomly? Like, what's your motivation? It seems, it seems weird. I might ask that. I wouldn't. I would be happy to talk to them. And I can't, but it's hard to reframe in your mind. You're like, wow, if that friend of mine reached out, I would love to talk to them. But you're thinking that they're going to have a reaction they might not have, right? Is that what is that kind of the Bermuda? I'm sure so there these, are others. Yeah. So you're, what you're describing are this, the three foundational emotions, guilt, fear, and worry. So what you're describing are fear and worry, right? You're yeah. describing fear and worry. What's the guilt one? The guilt one. Oh, the guilt one. And it's the most common one. The guilt is, oh, my God, I was responsible for not maintaining this relationship. When in reality, the relationship just fizzled, right? I never even thought of that. Interesting. Yes. I guess I don't, I'm not good at the guilt thing. I don't, but I see That's that. Okay. I understand that people have that. Okay. Yeah. So those are the three things. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.